Now, I had been thinking today that I might preach uh, with this on just in solidarity with the rest of you having to wear them. But uh, if, if there's anybody that's having trouble hearing me or, or, you know, really needs to see my mouth moving, uh, please just stick your hand up and let me know. I'll take it off. So, otherwise, we'll stick with this. Before we get into God's Word today, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can meet together as your people, as your family, that you have given the right to be called children of God. May we treasure that right above all others. Lord, we thank you that as we meet together today, as we hear from your word, that you speak to us. You encourage us, you challenge us, you build us up and through your Holy Spirit, working in our hearts through your word, you make us to be more like Jesus. I pray that we might all just be amazed that you can even do that, that you can day by day, step by step, make us a little bit more like Jesus. And we pray that you would help us to turn our eyes on him, set our focus on him, and bring glory to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our passage this morning is 1 Peter chapter 2, starting at verse 11 and going through to chapter 3, verse 7, for anyone who would like to follow along. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it's God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honour the emperor. Slaves in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they're conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you are called because Christ Jesus suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. 
When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you are like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Wives, in the same way submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behaviour of their wives, when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewellery or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. When I decided six weeks ago that I was going to preach on the book of 1 Peter, I thought that from our passage today, the part about the wives would be the most controversial part. Since then, I've discovered that it might be the part about submitting to government that might be the most controversial part. In a moment, I want to get into all of the questions that these sections might raise for us about what does this mean for our lives here and now. But I want to start by drawing us first to the absolute, the main point that Peter wants to make. Everything else hangs under what he says in verses 11 to 12 of of chapter 2. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Pretty much the rest of the letter except for the little bits at the end where he says, you know, say hi to so-and-so and, and, you know, remember us to such-and-such. Pretty much the rest of the letter is spelling out what these two verses look like in the life of the church. What does it look like to abstain from sinful desires for this church in the situation that they're in? And what does it look like for them to live such good lives that the hostile society around them might look at them and even though they don't like them and hurl accusations at them, go, actually, it's pretty hard to pin anything on these guys because they actually do a lot of good stuff. And when we try to criticise these guys, people keep telling us, but, but hey, look, I know some of these people and they're really lovely. 
So this, this is the heading for all of the stuff that Peter goes on to encourage us to do. This is about doing good so that people might see what it looks like for people to do good. So that people might see the good that we do and glorify God on the day that he visits us. And today, the three things that that we're looking at, the things that Peter focuses on initially as ways that we can live good lives to glorify God is all about submission. Peter tells us, you are aliens and strangers, foreigners in this world. This world is not your home. Its rulers are not your rulers. Your allegiance is to Jesus. Therefore, what you should do is submit and listen to those authorities that that God has put in place in the world around us about using our freedom that we have in Christ to submit. And he gives three examples. Subjects submitting to their government, the slaves submitting to their masters, and wives submitting to their husbands. So I want to deal with some of the questions that are raised by each of these sections, and then at the end I want to just come back to what's the, what's the big picture of submission that we get in this passage and of what it means to our witness to the world around us. When Peter calls us to submit to the government, he talks about the reason why God has put the government in place. They're sent to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. The question is, are we only to submit to good government, to government that does punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right? Are we free to not submit to any government that does things we don't agree with, that allows things we don't agree with? Peter in this passage paints a somewhat rosy picture of government and what it's for. But we mustn't forget Peter had plenty of experience of government injustice. The Lord that he followed was executed by the most barbaric form of execution in the ancient world because of no crime, but simply because the people of the rulers of Judea didn't like him and the Roman governor was more afraid of a riot than he was of doing what was right. Peter himself had been imprisoned. He had been beaten. He had been persecuted in a number of different ways for his faithfulness to Jesus. And the people that Peter is writing to, as I've alluded to these last few weeks, are people, are churches who are facing persecution, who are facing the hostility of the world around them, not so much in terms of violence, as we've seen in those examples, but it's mostly been that more you know, abuse and hatred and dislike and false accusations and, and all of these sorts of things. And despite all of that, Peter tells them to submit to this government. 
to a Roman government that allowed, you know, not just not just abortion, but a Roman government that allowed, uh, you know, that, that allowed their citizens to just leave out any babies that they didn't want to be exposed to the elements and the animals. A government that allowed all sorts of evil. And a government that frequently wasn't very kind towards the church. And he tells them to submit to the government because of their witness. To show the world that despite the way they're afraid of these Christians, that the Christians are not violent revolutionaries. They're not dangerous people. Peter says, silence the talk of ignorant people, or the ignorant talk of foolish people. So, no, I don't think we can say that we only have to submit to good governments. The second question comes, though, we know that Peter didn't always obey the authorities. Does this make him a hypocrite? Famously, in Acts 4, when the Sanhedrin tells him no longer to go out preaching in the name of Jesus, he tells them, what's the right thing to do? Should I obey God or should I obey men? I'm going to obey God. Well, Peter in these verses gives us one qualification when it comes to uh, submitting to the government. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority. It's impossible to sin for the Lord's sake. Jesus will never call us to sin for him. So we don't submit to laws that call us to. So I will submit to a government that legalises same-sex marriage. But if that government should command me that as a minister I have to perform such a marriage, I would have to say no and suffer the consequences. I can submit to a government that legalises abortion, but those within the church shouldn't be getting them, and if you're in the medical profession, as hard as it would be uh, for your profession, shouldn't be involved in doing them either. And that might mean the loss of a job in the world that we live in. I want to say this isn't the main point of what I'm getting at, but when we touch on this subject, it's always worth saying, if anyone in this room has ever had an abortion, or if you know of people who do, there is always forgiveness. Nothing we have done will make God shut the door on us. And God can move through even the things that we've done wrong and bring good out of them. The last question I want to go back to on, on submitting to government then is, does submitting to government mean blindly supporting everything that they do? And I would say no, not at all. As citizens in a democratic country, we have lots of rights that we can use. We can write to our member of parliament. We can join in in protests. We can 
let, people, let the government know what we think is good and what we think is wrong. We can, we can criticise the bad laws. We can lobby for good laws. So long as it's all done with the respect and honour that Peter is calling for here, that people show towards the government. And not done with slander and false accusations. We submit to government not because government always gets it right. We submit to government to glorify God. We submit to government so that the world doesn't perceive the church to be a place where my rights are more important than the welfare of others. We submit to the government because God has put governments in place so that the world will not be in chaos. And he calls us to submit to them. And those who do wrong will be held accountable. But that's not our job, that's God's job. So speaking of our rights, let's, let's get into Peter's next point where he tells slaves to submit to their masters, not just good masters but the harsh and the evil ones too. Does this mean that Peter and, and by extension that the Bible are endorsing the institution of slavery and saying slavery is a good thing? Uh, this is something that a lot of Christians wrestle with about these passages in the Bible. I don't think we see anything in here, in this passage, to say that Peter endorses slavery so much as that he recognises that it's a reality of the world that they live in, that the church at this point has no power to be able to change that institution, to be able to put an end to slavery. He looks at the reality of the world around him and he says, this is a way that you can show the goodness of God, you can show the example of Jesus Christ, is if you're a slave and you, you, know, you have a lot, very little control over your own life and the things that you're called to do, you can do your job to glorify God by honouring your master. He encourages the slaves, the weakest in society, that they can have a powerful witness and that they can follow the example of Christ. Now, a question we often have, might have following up on this is, um, how do we apply this? None of us are slaves. Now, a lot of people might apply this uh, to, you know, I've often heard these sort of things applied to the workplace, but... Of course, the workplace is a little bit different. If any of us have a, have a boss that really is that harsh and overbearing, we can just leave. A slave didn't have that freedom. I think the point that we can take out of this is that unjust suffering happens, doesn't it? Things, bad things happen to good people and it's not fair. But it happens, doesn't it? It's happened to you. It's happened to me. Bad things happen that aren't fair. Unjust suffering happens. Good people 
get cancer and die at 25. Good people get, you know, T-boned by a drunk driver and spend the rest of their life in a wheelchair. Bad things happen to good people. And people, as our world is starting to look a bit more like the world that Peter was talking to these churches in, people will treat us unjustly. Unjust suffering will happen. Now, we don't want to overdo it. I don't think the, the gospel is a message of, you know, suffering now all the time, only suffering. God is with us and he gives us many good things in this life, although the main good things that he promises us are in the next. Recognising the reality of unjust suffering in this broken world doesn't mean that we have to seek it out. We're not masochists. But when suffering does come, we have an example to follow. The example of our trusted Saviour who knows our suffering. Who didn't respond to hatred with hatred. Didn't respond to false accusations with false accusations. But who put his trust in the one who judges justly. And we can do the same. When we can trust him in the middle of unjust hardships, that's when our witness is most powerful. Now, as we move to the next section, we might have a few questions about what Peter counsels us here as well before we, as I said, draw it all together with an understanding of what, what Peter is teaching us about submission throughout these verses. He exhorts wives to be submissive to their husbands. It's fair to say Peter is not, in this passage, making himself too many friends in the 21st century, telling wives to submit to their husbands, telling them what to wear and referring to them as the weaker partner or literally the weaker vessel would have him cancelled pretty quickly in this day and age. So is this then the part where I, a man, stand up the front of the church and tell all of the women what they should do and what they should wear? Do I get up here and tell you that do everything that your husband tells you to do because he knows better than you? Do I tell you this is how you should dress, you know, no jewellery except for a cross, absolutely no bikinis ever? These sort of sermons happen. But I think it's... These points are kind of to the side of the point that Peter is trying to make here. And I do feel a need to be careful talking about this, that as a man I am not self-serving uh, in the things that I say up the front or insensitive. Should we expect that wives should submit to their husbands today? I mean, we've just moved on from a point about slavery and we don't think slavery should exist today. Is, is the same thing happening here with that just as Peter was saying slavery is a reality in our world, I'm not endorsing it but this is how you should live under that system. Is that the same thing that's happening when he's talking about the wives? Submitting to your husband is a reality in this world, I don't agree with it but you know, do it as a witness to God. If this was the only passage that talked about wives and husbands and, and the roles within the family, 
I think I, I probably almost would lean that way. But there are other passages throughout Scripture that talk about roles within the home. And some of them, particularly like Ephesians chapter 5, where Paul talks about wives submitting to husbands, is not, the reason that he gives is not anything to do with this is your witness so that, um, you know, you won't upset cultural norms and that you'll, you'll be able to work within them to glorify Jesus. But he says, he appeals more to the creation, the way that we were made. And he says that husbands are to love their wives and give their lives for them just as Christ gave himself for the church. And so I, I think with that and other passages that talk about the man being the head of the house, I find it, it feels like we're having to work too much around what Scripture says to say that, no, there's not, no truth to that whatsoever. I do have people that I respect, Christians that I respect very much who hold a different view on this point. And I do want to say that, but I find we have to do too much explaining away what, what the Bible seems to teach quite clearly. So other questions then about this section. Are women allowed to braid their hair? Are they allowed to wear nice clothes? After what Peter says here, um, your beauty should not come from outward adornment such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewellery or fine clothes. Does anybody have braided hair in here this morning? Should we be telling them to, to go outside and sort it out? What do you think? I think we need to be very clear about what is being said here. It um, depends a little bit on your version of the scripture. It says something along the line, your beauty should not come from outward adornment. Or uh, you know, a slightly more literal rendering would be, your adornment should not be nice clothes, nice hair, all of these things, but the quiet spirit and the, uh, the, the, the purity and the reverence of your lives, your, uh, your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. So I don't think what Peter is saying is that nice clothes and braids are bad. What he's saying is, not so much about what you wear or your hairstyle, but why you wear it. It's about what are you trying to impress people with? What, what are the reasons that you wear these things for? Some people do their hair up nice because they like doing their hair up nice. Some people do their hair up nice because it's, it's a big part of... You know, it, it, I couldn't possibly let anybody see me having a bad hair day. My, my whole self-worth is built up in how people perceive how I look. And, you know, that's not just women. Uh, there, there are plenty of men that probably need to hear this warning from Peter as well. Don't put your hope in what other people think of what you look like. Don't put all of your effort and all of your money into these things either. 
So, yeah, sorry if I've made anybody feel, feel self-conscious about their braids or anything today. They're absolutely fine. But, um, but it's worth all of us thinking about when we, do, when we do some of these things, why do we do them? Do we do them just, you know, just because? Or are we, are we really looking for some kind of acceptance and some kind of, uh, yeah, endorsement from others in doing so? Peter is clear as well, I think it's worth pointing out, that wives and husbands, as much as he might have made himself unpopular by referring to the wives as the weaker partner, he does make it clear that wives and husbands are equals, that they're joint heirs in eternity. Treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as co-heirs with you of the gracious gift of life. What was radically progressive in those days, now many people think is radically behind. But there's absolutely no suggestion in what Peter says here that women are less intelligent, that women are less faithful, that women are less capable. But that he calls us to say, this is the way that God has set out the home. That he has called men to have some extra responsibility, to take responsibility for our families. And as much as headship might not be a popular message, how many homes throughout our society are crying out for a husband who would take some responsibility for his family? And that's a big part of what Jesus is calling us to here. Anytime, husbands, that you're tempted to think, oh yeah, I'm the head of the household, Remember that whoever was first among you must be the servant of all. And that just as Christ washed his disciples' feet, so they can wash the feet of others. We can glorify God in our homes. Men with self-sacrificial love and responsibility and wives with recognition and submission to that responsibility. And submission gets so often misunderstood. It is not about who does the dishes. It's not about who cooks dinner. It's not as though a man who vacuums the carpets is not, you know, being, not not following the husband's role, is not being the head of the household. It's about men taking responsibility for leading our families in Christ, about wives honouring God with gracious and loving support. And I think, and again, I know this is, this is hard because I'm up here saying these things as a man and it does come across like I benefit from them, but this is really what I think the witness of Scripture is to these things, that when we can live that way, men with self-sacrificial responsibility and wives with support and respect and, and that inner beauty of faithfulness to God that we see through this passage. It's a beautiful mutual service when we get it right. Our roles are not interchangeable, but we are both serving. And it can be a beautiful thing, a beautiful witness to the fullness of who God is. So I want to bring it together now, just at the end, what do we learn about submission? throughout these passage, no, through this passage. 
Because this, was, this is the big place Peter goes to first, live good lives among this hostile world so that they will see the goodness of Jesus. And the first thing he tells them how to do that is to by, by, by being submissive, by recognising authorities that God has put in place. So I think there's three main things we learn. The first is that submission is not about the other party being better or smarter. It's not about the other party always being right. It's not about putting somebody in their place. That's subjugation, not submission. Jesus submitted to the Father. Although he was in very nature God, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But he made himself humble, taking on the nature of a servant. He submitted to the Father's will. Not my will, but yours be done. Jesus submitted to authorities that you definitely cannot say had uh, you know, more power than him, that were higher class than him, that, that were smarter than him or better than him. He submitted to corrupt authorities and was put to death by them. He was subjected to the ultimate injustice. No complaining, no retaliation, no hatred. Instead, he forgave those who did it to him. He did it all for you and for me, for all of those who would believe in him. He bore our sins bore our curse on that cross so that in him we might have everlasting life. That by his wounds we are healed. Which in this context is very clear. He's talking about that our sins might be forgiven. I think it's important to see in these passages that submission is not being a walkover. Uh, they were to submit to the government for the Lord's sake, which means not submitting to the government, calling them to sin. Likewise, he calls the wives to submit to their husbands, but in the ancient world, one of the part, things that were as expected of wives was that they would follow their husband's religion. And yet he commends the women who are living as Christians uh, and not following their husband's religion. It's not about being a walkover. And even within submitting, we can state our case with respect. We can, we can argue for, you know, what we think is right. But he calls us to show respect and to honour to those he has put an authority over us. We see that we are free. Peter tells us that. Live as free people. We are free because Jesus Christ has set us free, has called us out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. Live as free people, but don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves, 
And I think that's the third thing that we take out of this. Submission is worship. Christ is our only true king, our, our true authority. How should we use that freedom? By submitting to the other authorities in this world for his sake. What, what's the difference to not being free at all? It's a subtle difference, but it makes a world of difference. I don't follow, I don't submit to the government because I'm afraid of them. I don't submit to the government because, you know, I have to or else I'll get chucked in prison or I'm worried about what the consequences might be. But I do it because I want to honour God. I do it because I choose to, not because I have to. And that's a subtle difference, but it's an important difference. We're free. So we can choose willingly to submit to the authorities that God has put in place so that in doing so, we can show the goodness of our God and bring Him glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's a very easy thing to be counselled to submit to our authorities when they do all the things that we agree with and don't do anything that we don't agree with. But that is not the reality that we find ourselves in a lot of the time. And it's not the reality that these scriptures were written within. We pray that whenever we find it hard, that you might encourage us to do it as our act of worship. Not because we have to, but because we choose to out of respect for you, that our witness to the world might show that we are different because our hope is not in climbing our way to the top of the heap and throwing everybody else down underneath us, but in gently submitting ourselves, trusting in you that those who are last will be first. That the meek will inherit the earth. We pray that you will help us to be bold and brave should the times come that we must stand up and say no to an authority because they call us into something that is sin. But in everything else, help us to be gracious and joyful, remembering that nothing that they can call us to do, whether face masks at the shops or signing in wherever we go, nothing they can do can take away the joy of what you have done for us, the joy of knowing you, our Saviour. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.